Good morning and welcome to First Church. I'd like to give a special welcome to all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners. Thank you for joining us today. The announcements are listed in your bulletin, but I'd like to highlight just a few. Today is All Saints Sunday, and the White Carnations are in remembrance of those who have entered Christ's care this past year. Family members of those loved ones are invited to come and take a carnation at the end of the service today. The Agape Thanksgiving Box Food Drive will go through Sunday, November 11th, and you can leave items in the Heritage Room. Also, the Operation Christmas Child Boxes will be the following Sunday, November 18th, and there is a table also in the Heritage Room for those. The children's nursery has returned to the basement as of today. Now, all those that are comfortably able, please rise and join me in the call to worship, which is lifted from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Please remain standing and join me in singing hymn number 52, O God, our help in ages past.
As the children come forward to the children's chat, please take a moment and greet your neighbors. Let's try that again. There are a lot of you up here this morning, and that was pretty weak. Good morning. Hey, what did you guys think of the opening for the prelude this morning? Was that pretty cool? That was pretty cool. And you know what? As I was getting ready to do children's chat this morning, I went on Google and I typed in to find out if there were any good children's chats already online. And they did, there wasn't one. But they had one about the scripture verses that lead right up to our scripture for today. And it says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like to sing? Well, yeah, the girls like to sing. The guys, not so much. That's pretty much the way it works, huh? But you know what? Some people make excuses. Grown-ups will say, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Others will say, I just don't know the words. Or it's not my favorite song. But do you know what God says to those kind of excuses? He says, sing to the Lord with a beautiful voice. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know what? No matter how bad we sing, it's beautiful to God. He wants to hear our voices. He made each one of us. And so he wants to hear our voices because it's not bad to him. It's beautiful to him. Okay? And we all love music. We all have a favorite song. Courtney, what's your favorite song? You don't have a favorite song? What's your favorite song to sing? You don't know. Leah, do you have a favorite song? What's your favorite song? I will trust. There you go. Reagan, what's your favorite song? Jesus loves the little children. Okay, everybody has a favorite song that we sometimes hum or we sing, and maybe it changes, and that's okay. But God loves it when we sing. And so when you get the opportunity, we need to sing, because it's a beautiful noise unto the Lord. Okay, and you know what? When you get big and you can't sing... You can come and read the bells because you only have to know right from left. And you only have to know how to count to four. I can't sing, but I can play the bells because I know right from left and I can count to four. See? Everybody can make music. All right. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of music. Thank you that there are such talented people that can put feelings and words together with music to express such an emotion. Thank you for each one of these children. Let them sing your joy all week long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week. Fort Wainwright, Alaska, Specialist Mason James Gukovan, 21, from Middletown, Pennsylvania. Killed in Afghanistan, Major Brett Taylor, 39, from North Ogden, Utah.
Good morning. Today is a special day. Uh, it is All Saints Sunday, a day that we remember and, and uh, thank God for the lives of our loved ones who have gone before us into eternity. And so as we, at this point in our service, we'd like to pause and, and remember them. Uh, and as we remember them, we're also reminded of God's faithfulness towards his people. Uh, because as we, as we reflect and, and think of our loved ones, uh, all of this is possible. Uh, our hope for eternity is resting solely in the hands of Christ and what he's done for us. Um, his, his death on the cross, his resurrection is what gives us hope in this life and in the next. And so as we pause today to reflect and, and remember the lives of our loved ones, uh, let's also pause and reflect and remember the goodness of our, of our Heavenly Father and what Christ has done for us uh, to ensure eternity for all of his children. Um, and, and so let's uh, now give thanks for these brothers and sisters in Christ to whom God has granted rest from their labors. In a moment, we will pray for the families of each of these brothers and sisters in Christ that they may find peace and hope in light of the gospel. So would you pray with me now? Almighty God, we give you thanks for these, your servants, whom we remember today. We thank you and we ask that you would uh, bless and, and, and bring peace to the families as well uh, that are gathered here today and those that, that possibly couldn't be with us this morning uh, as we remember their loved ones who have gone to be with you. Lord, we pray, uh, as, we, as, I, as I read these names, we pray for them and their families and ask that your spirit would bring peace and that your gospel would give us hope even today. And so we pray for the families of Lola Shop, Helen Haberkamp, Annabelle Cook, Betty Herbst, Homer Ganger, Martha Setledge, Betty Henschen, Alan Bud Wright, Neil Ketterheinrich, and Carl Schmel. God, we ask that you would grant us peace to follow them as they followed Christ. Bring us with them to those things no eye has seen, no ear heard, which you have prepared for those who love you. Give us faith to look beyond touch and sight, and seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, enable us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring us at last to your eternal peace. Lord, we thank you for, for the chance to remember these people. And ask, Lord, that as, as they lived, we ask that you would give us courage and faith to follow in their footsteps. And, and Lord, bring us to that place where we can be with them again. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This time I invite you to stand and, and, and sing It Is Well. It's hymn number 493 in your, in your blue hymnals.
Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to pray with me once again. Lord, we are able to sing it as well. We're able to experience peace like a river. And we're able to have confidence and hope for this life and the next because of what you've done for us. So Lord, even as we possibly mourn those who we've lost, those who have uh, experienced death before us, Lord, we can stand and we can sing, it is well with my soul because of the hope that we have in you, because of the confidence that your gospel brings, because of the, the assurance, Lord, that your resurrection has for us. Lord, you taste the death for us and you rose again to eternal life so that those who put their trust in you have that same hope, that though we may experience death in this life, we have the hope of eternal life to strengthen us and comfort us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that hope. And especially this day on All Saints Day, as we remember those who have gone before us into that eternal life, we pray that you would bring us peace like a river and give us, Lord, that hope that they are now experiencing for themselves. And so, Lord, we also ask for you to be with us as a, as a congregation, as a community, as a nation, Lord. Uh, we ask for you to be with our leaders. Uh, your word calls us to pray for those who have authority over us. And so, Lord, at this time, we pray for wisdom and pray for guidance uh, for those who have, who have you placed in positions of authority for our local communities, for our state, for our nation, for our world, Lord. We pray for guidance and wisdom for them. And we pray, Lord, as, as your word says, that, that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness because you promised that it will be filled. And so, Lord, I pray the same prayer for us as we live out your purpose and your mission here in New Knoxville and the surrounding communities. I pray you'd give us a hunger and thirst after your righteousness as well. And, Lord, help us all to, to strive hard after you and to, to know you and to, to share the goodness of your gospel with everyone we meet. Lord, we lift up uh, the concerns that are represented in our bulletin, uh, our, our joys and concerns list. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the many ways you have worked in our lives. Lord, it would be, uh, it would be a shame for us to not acknowledge how you have been active and working. Lord, sometimes it's in ways we don't expect or don't understand in the moment. Uh, but Lord, we know and, and trust in the promises of your word that you will never leave or forsake us and that you are active and working in our lives because of your care and your love for us. And so, Lord, uh, because of your faithfulness, because of your, your grace and mercy, we come to you now and ask for your continued provision and continued healing in these situations. We pray, uh, especially for those who are in need of physical healing, Lord, we pray for your hand to be upon them and for wisdom for any, any doctors or any course of treatment that they are currently engaging with, Lord. Um, and ultimately, we ask for the, the confidence and the hope that comes from you that, that no matter what we experience in this life, we can be assured of your goodness and your love. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time as the choir sings, I go to the rock. Oh. 
The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father, we are so grateful for this day, this opportunity to gather as your people and to uh, praise you with song and to to lift up our concerns to you through prayer and to, especially this day, to remember our, our loved ones who are now with you and experiencing your kingdom in a way we never have before uh, ourselves. We ask that you would now help be with us as we turn to your word, help us to uh, know and understand what that means uh, for us and our own families and our own relationships. Um, and Lord, help us to live out our, our faith in you, Lord, in real and practical ways. And nothing is more real and practical than our families and those relationships. So we, we thank you for this time now and pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, we have been uh, working through this, this sermon series on the cross-shaped family, taking a look at how our faith transforms our homes and, and those, the dynamics and those relationships that are found there. Uh, we began by looking at kind of family in general, and, uh, and we re- realized that uh, family is not always easy. Uh, sometimes that we have the greatest joy and sometimes the greatest hardship and greatest pain from our families. Um, and that's just the reality we go through in life. And, and so how, do, how does our faith help us to, to navigate those issues? How does our faith help us to understand what it means to be husbands and wives and parents and children and grandparents uh, in that? And that's what we've been beginning to explore now through these subsequent sermons. Last week we looked at the cross-shaped husbands and looked at the other verses from this Ephesians 5 passage about the husband's call to love as Christ loved the church. And so we are going to continue that conversation today looking at the, the verses that have to do with the wives and their role in that relationship. And in the coming weeks, we'll continue on through those other family relationships that we have touched base on or that I just touched base on. Before we get started here today, I do want to say I don't always uh, get a chance to or, or, or don't always in detail uh, kind of go over my sermons with Allie uh, each week. But for this one, I felt like it was a really good idea. So last night we did talk um, and she gave me a thumbs up. So I think we're good to go this morning. So I just wanted to let you all know that. Uh, before we do jump into that, though, uh, I do want to just uh, pause and, and again reflect on verse 21. Uh, if you if you were here with us last week, I did mention how, how verse 21 in this passage really does lay the foundation for us, uh, not just for husbands and wives, but going forward through the whole all of these family relationships as well. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Last week we talked about how this that one verse gave us a, a, a clue as to uh, what that marriage relationship looks like in terms of who is who has the authority in the relationship, and that ultimate authority rests in Christ. He is the head. Of our families, he is the head of our marriages, and and everything that falls, everything makes sense when it falls underneath that dynamic with Christ at the center of of our families. And I want to continue to to explore kind of what that means for the particularly for the marriage relationship uh, in light of that verse. Uh, marriage can be thought of in terms of covenant and connection. 
In other words, uh, marriage is so much more than just a simple contract between two people. Unfortunately, that's how many times our culture views marriage as simply a legal document that you sign and now you pay your taxes together, right? Uh, and, and, but marriage from, from a biblical perspective is so much more than that. Uh, I, I think ter- looking at it in terms of covenant is what makes the most sense. And, and we see throughout scripture that covenant is so much more than just a simple contract. The covenant implies a willingness on both parties to uphold your end of the deal, even if the other does not. Think of how, how, the, how the word covenant describes God's relationship to us. You know, God promises to uphold his end of the bargain even when we do not. That's the whole premise of the new covenant and what Christ has done for us, is that we have failed to uphold our end of the bargain, right? We are sinners in need of a Savior. We have, we have gone after our own idols. We have turned away from the Lord over and over again. And so if, if, if our relationship with the Lord was based on simply human contracts and our understanding of how those work, God could have said, all right, I'm done with you, and gone on his way. He would have had every right and every, um, every privilege to do so. But that's not what God did for us, right? Even though we've turned our back on him over and over again, he still loves us, and he still promises to uphold his end of the bargain even when we don't uphold ours. And that's, that's in a sense, what Christ did for us on the cross as he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your end of the bargain. I'm going to fulfill it for you. I'm going to live that perfect life that you couldn't live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace the cross and so that you can experience forgiveness and restoration. And so covenant is so much, so much deeper and so much more meaningful than a simple contract. And, and, and Paul says here in this passage that marriage is a reflection of that reality. Marriage is a reflection of what Christ has done for us as church. And so when we think about what it means to be husband and wife towards each other, we need to keep that sort of mindset uh, at the forefront. We need to remember that it's about covenant, not just contract. It's about that, that wholehearted, whole self-commitment to one another. Um, and that, in, in a marriage relationship, goes both ways. You see, the analogy breaks down because Christ is perfect. He is that perfect Savior that we needed. And so uh, anyone who has lived life for more than a few years, right, realizes that none of us are perfect either, right? We, we are going to fall short and we're going to make mistakes. Um, and that's why we need to commit to one another in marriage because that is, that is so true. But then the other half of that, so covenant, uh, marriage is defined by covenant, but it's also defined by connection. It's that, it's that submitting to one another, submitting to your spouse. It's, it's more than just a sense of duty or obligation. It implies the oneness that comes through marriage. That, that close connection that a husband and wife have um, that goes beyond all other relationships that we have in our own lives, right? I know that, that as Allie and I have, have grown closer together throughout these last nine-plus years, uh, we've gotten to know each other better. We've, we've grown closer together in ways that, that weren't maybe thought of or possible when we first began our relationship together. Right, And that, that comes through intimacy, that comes over time, and it comes because cause that's developed in the years and the experiences that we have gone through. And so, so it's a good to remember that that connection doesn't happen overnight, right? You think you know someone, but then you have to go and live with them, right? You think you know someone pretty well, then you get married and you begin to live life together, and, and you learn a whole lot about that person that maybe you didn't know before. And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. That's exciting. That's wonderful. 
And that's what marriage does. And, and so as you learn about each other, as, you, as, that, as that knowledge grows, you're able to uh, form a deeper bond and form a deeper connection. And, and so over time, you're not going to be the same person you were, and your relationship isn't going to look the same as it did on your wedding day. The song Ellie and I danced to at our wedding reception was a song called Then, I believe, and I didn't look up who, who sang the song, but the, the verse, uh, the, the whole song talks about how I thought I loved you then. Again, going through the whole, each stage of the relationship and, and the chorus is, man, I thought I loved you then, but I had no idea what love was really about. I had no idea what love really was. Now that we've gone through this, I really know. And, and so the song kind of goes through each stage of, of the relationship. And that's what marriage is about. It's about that connection. It's about growing closer together. That trust and the intimacy develops over time. And it does take time to develop. And so marriage is, is about that covenant and about that, com- that connection to one another. And really that is important to talk about today because that underlies what it means to be in that relationship. And it, it, it informs us what it means to be for a wife to submit to her husband and to be in that sort of, uh, to have that sort of relationship because it's impossible to truly submit. And I would say for husbands, it's impossible to truly lead if that connection and that commitment isn't there. That's the foundation. That's the baseline to make it work and to make it possible. And so we're going to be looking at this passage today and, and, uh, in looking at what it has to say to us about, about the role of the wife and, and, and the marriage relationship. And I do have to say, there's a, I want to look at this in terms of a couple big words that we often associate with this passage that often maybe get a bad rap in a, in a misunderstanding, just like authority did last week. And so and those two words are submission and help or helper. And so I want to kind of look at this passage in light of those two words and what it has to say to us. And so the first big idea here is, is wives should submit to their own husbands as Christ does, or as the church, excuse me, let me just read it for you instead of stumbling over the words. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, submission like authority has bad connotations in our culture. If we have a a natural aversion to authority like I talked about last week, and many of us do, then we're also going to have a natural aversion to submission and how those two things interrelate. And and it's important for us to start off and, and again, look at submission from a biblical context and from a biblical perspective. And what we see from Scripture is that submission is not weakness. Submission does not mean that you are the weaker of two people. Submission from a biblical context takes strength and it takes courage. Last week when we wanted to see what true authority looked like, we looked to the example of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and to be honest, we're going to look at that same passage again to know what true submission looks like because, because Christ is our example in both of those cases. And just a reminder, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in the same way that Jesus exercised his authority by, by setting it aside to serve, 
Jesus was exercising his, his willingness to submit to the Father by setting aside his, his authority and, and his willingness to serve. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, the, the perfect example of submission for us in Scripture is Jesus himself. He willingly submitted to the will of the Father, and it was through that submission, it was through that obedience that God was able to accomplish his purposes in this world. In other words, God wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for what Christ did. Does that make sense? It was through Christ and through his submission and through his obedience that God was able to accomplish his will in this world. And so submission is not weakness. Authority and submission may seem like opposites, but in in actuality, they look very similar. And we see them both in Christ and his willingness to obey the Father and his willingness to set aside his authority. And they all both had to do with that willingness to, to lay down the, his life for the other. Another example for us from Scripture is, is Mary. We talked about this in, our, in my Sunday school class last week. Mary is a great example of what it looks like to submit. You know, sometimes maybe us Protestants don't give Mary the attention that she deserves, but she does set a good example for us of what, what obedience and submission looks like. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her and announced the birth of Christ, uh, she was amazed. She was in awe and wonder. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, we see her response. She tells him, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. You see, her submission took courage. It took strength. The easy thing for her to do would be not to submit, right? To say, look, this is going to ruin my life, right? She was a teenage girl, had not been married yet. Having a child out of wedlock would have been, had some very serious social and economic complications for her. But yet she chose to submit. She chose to follow God's leading willingly. And that is a great example for us to follow. It took courage. It took strength for her to commit to the Lord's will in that way. So submission also requires trust. And it's developed in the context of relationship over time, as I mentioned earlier. Trust, in a sense, it's not earned. It's, it's, or excuse me, it is earned. It's not given. And so that, and that trust needs to go both ways. It's a trust that a husband has for his wife and a wife has for her husband's, her husband. Oops. I was looking at my notes, sorry. Husband. Uh, husband, if you, if you lead well, if you love your life like Christ loved the church, then your wives won't have a problem following your lead. The moment that you have to say, you must submit to me because I'm your husband, you're doing it wrong. Right? And so if husbands are leading well, if they're leading in the ways that we talked about last week of, of loving, loving their families, loving their wives as Christ loved the church, if, if husbands are laying down their lives for the sake of their wives and their families, then it won't be difficult for the wife to then follow their lead in, in that direction. And so it says here also that we, we submit to our, the wives are called to submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. And, and that last part is really important. It's, it's submit, to, it's submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. Wives' submission and, and their husband's love and return is not dependent on the spouse's ability to deserve it. Right? We render husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as 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 you do to the Lord, it's all based out of our, our, our service and we're rendering it to the Lord and our faithful response to what he's done for us. 
The reality is that none of us are perfect. Therefore, we, we commit to one another out of our devotion to the Lord, and it's based on what He's done for us that we live out these, uh, these roles and these responsibilities. You know, if my love for Allie depended on how I was feeling towards her on a given day, then it would spell trouble for our marriage. In the same way, if her willingness to submit and follow my lead and our relationship was dependent on the latest grade of my husband report card, we'd be in trouble too. And so that the relationship, that, that connection is not based on, on whether or not your spouse deserves it in the moment, but it's based out of our, your common connection and your common devotion to the Lord. And there's no greater way to love someone than to love them when they don't necessarily deserve it. There's no greater way to serve someone than to, to serve them when they don't deserve it. And that's what Christ is calling for us to do. And so our marriages are never going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. But we can continue to love and serve one another out of our reverence and out of our faith in Christ. And it's important to note here, too, um, and this sometimes gets overlooked as well, uh, the call here for wives is, is, is not to submit to men in general. It's not to submit to all men. It's to submit to their own husbands. And so that relationship, what, what's being talked about here is unique for that marriage relationship. It's not a call for all women to submit to all men, but it's a call for women to submit to their own husbands in the context of that loving provision within that relationship. Does that make sense? And it's important for us to note that as well, because that, that verse can be twisted out of context if we're not careful. And so it's important for us to know then what submission looks like. It's, it's following the example of Christ and fulfilling God's will here on this earth. And in a similar way, we're called, wives are called to submit to their husbands as they follow, as they follow Christ's example. And so the second big idea that I want to touch base on here is the idea of helper. And this is a word that comes, is drawn from Genesis chapter 2 when, when God was creating uh, the heavens and the earth, and he placed Adam in the garden, he realized that there was no suitable helper for him. And so it was out of that desire, out of that need that God created Eve. And, and we may look at that ter- word helper and think, that doesn't look so good. Help may seem, a helper may seem like someone who is weaker, someone who is further down on the depth chart than they are. But in reality, that word is, does not mean someone who is inferior, but someone who is who is necessary to complete the task that is given. See, men and women were created equal, both in the image of God. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And both were given the responsibility to rule over and steward creation. And so both men and women will, are called to fulfill God's purposes on this earth together. Not as one accomplishing it with, and, and the other one just following along, but both side by side accomplishing that together. And as we look forward to the kingdom to come, both men and women will rule together as well in eternity. We are all co-heirs with Christ and all of the implications that come along with that. And so helper from Genesis chapter 2 is not a, again, it's not a word that denotes weakness, but it's strength. In fact, that word is used 16 um, times in Scripture. Two of them are used to describe a warrior's strength in battle or an army's strength in the, in, the, in the battlefield. Two of them are used to describe Eve here in Genesis chapter 2, and, and the other, all of the other uses of this word are used to describe God himself, that God is our helper, and it, is the, it describes the help that we receive from God as his people. An example would be Exodus chapter 18, verse 4. Moses 
in, in naming his children, named one of his children Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. There's plenty of other examples there. You know, if, if, if helper means someone who is inferior and weak, then we must be having a very misconstrued view of who God is. Because God is not inferior or weak. God is the, our source of strength. God is our provision. And so in the same way, our wives are called to help us and to come alongside us together accomplishing God's will for our families and for our lives. And so helper denotes an equal partnership in, competing, in completing God's mission for us. You know, it said that Adam, uh, the rib was taken from Adam's side. Um, it was not taken from his head so that he may rule over his wife in a domineering way. It was not taken from his feet so that, so that he may trample over her, or that, but it was taken from his side so that may, they may go side by side through life together. I think a great example, a great picture of what that relationship is called to look like is from Exodus chapter 17. And this may seem like a strange connection, but bear with me. Moses here is leading God's people through the wilderness, and they're engaged in battle. And so Moses is standing up on the mountainside and and looking over this battle. And and as he raises his hands in prayer, the Israelites begin to win and, and, and begin to take control of the battle. But every time he lowered his hands, the enemy began to win. And so there was this... This moment where Moses realized, and, he, and, he, and he's raising his hands all day long, hour after hour. His hands are in the air in order to, in, in order for the God's people to win the battle. And there becomes a time where he's not able to do it anymore. He's not able to hold his hands in the air anymore because of uh, he is losing strength. And so what happens is his brother Aaron and another individual they come up to him, and and they hold his hands in the air for him. They prop his hands up so that God's people may win the battle. And I think that image, that picture is what it looks like for a husband and wife to work together to accomplish God's will. Sometimes we're going to need our wives to hold our hands up, right? Not to do it, not to do it for us, but to help us accomplish God's will. And so a wife's role is to come alongside and as an essential component to living out God's mission and purpose in this world, they come side by side together holding up each other. Now, before we close today, I want to offer a few caveats for us uh, as, as we talk about what it means for wives to submit to their husbands. First of all, submission does not excuse sin. Right? If a husband aren't leading or, or leading in the family in a direction that is contrary to God's will, it does not give the wife permission to follow suit. Right? The right thing to do, the order to help and help fulfill God's purpose and mission in this in their families and in this world is to kindly, lovingly, and gently point them in the right direction. Because it's about serving God and following after Him together. Another thing to remember is that, that wives uh, can help uh, in a relationship where, where maybe the husbands are unbelievers or husbands are otherwise spiritually immature, absent. Uh, wives can, can help by living faithfully in that context. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 say, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the loving behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the weaving of, wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
So, so wives, sometimes the way that you help is by, by living faithfully for the Lord, even if your husband's not on the same page. Not following his, his lead away from the Lord, but by setting that example for the family and for the children. And that leads to the last one. And this is for both the men and women here. Women shouldn't have to fulfill the responsibilities of both a husband and wife, but many do. Where men fail to lead, women often step up into that leadership role and pull double duty. And it's not that women aren't capable of doing that. You are fully capable of doing that. But that's not what you deserve. You're not called to live out both of those roles in your life. And so, men, we need to lead well so that our wives don't have to lead for us. And when we do that, we're able to walk side by side through life together. We're able to be prepared and equipped for whatever challenges life throws our way because we have each other. And we're both living out that calling of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, uh, that it is relevant and practical to our lives. Lord, we often maybe don't, um, don't see it that way, but when we're talking about family and these relationships here, we thank you that, that your word is true and that it does speak good truth into our lives. So help us, Lord, to, to follow where you are leading together in our families. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, let's stand and, and as we prepare our hearts for communion.